The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Top 5, a show where we count things down from number 5 to number 1. This week, Top 5 animated television shows we love. Top 5 animated shows we love. There's a lot of animated shows out there. I guess the longer you're around on this planet, the probably the more animated television shows you've been exposed to. And I have a feeling that you probably have access to more animated television shows in the last 10 years than you did maybe 30 years ago. So let's find out what everybody has for their top five animated television shows. Rodrigo, we're going to start with you this episode. Okay. All right. So my number five is one that I very recently discovered because uh, it was recommended to me mm-hmm. by a, a family member. And that's Infinity Train. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys have seen Infinity Train. It no, I've seen started... Dinosaur Train. I have yeah. never heard of that. Yeah, Infinity Train is a Cartoon Network joint. Um, it started in 2019 and has kind of gone under the radar, especially when you have like heavy hitters like Steven Universe making a lot of noise nowadays. Um, but it is a kind of a like the first season is kind of a mystery. The second season is more of an adventure show. There's lots of adventure and both anyway and um as i'm watching infinity train i'm like especially the first season i'm like this kind of feels like something i would write and after like a handful of episodes my wife turns to me and says like this seems like something you would write and i'm like yeah it it really does and usually i have this like absolute disgust when like something enters like the periphery of like things that i'm into or like something that I would do. I actually have like this very adverse reaction to it, uh, but not this time. So if you read my book or like what you hear on Critical Hit, I'll recommend Infinity Train because it does really feel like something I do. Nice, 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 nice. For me, my number five goes all the way back to before I was even born. But thanks to the <laughs> magic of reruns. Scooby-Doo, where are you? The first two seasons, the 1969 and 1970 season. Oh, the best Scooby-Doo ever. I don't need no Scrappy-Doos. I don't need no Dippy-Doos. I don't need no Don Knotts or Phyllis Diller or any of that stuff. Give me those first two seasons. And really, yeah, I think it does have to be the first two seasons because I think it's season two is when they went to the uh, the um, UFO Air Force Base next to the farm. Um, that was a good one. Was but Space Kook? Yeah, Space Kook. And also, oh, the I think... the horrifying scream of the Space Kook. I think the first season had the... Tiki Island one, but that might have been second season. But there's so much good stuff in those first two seasons that, oh, just wonderful. I will take that uh, over a lot of other things any day of the week, just of how good 
The fact that you had musical interludes in there made it really nice. The fact that you had something that had a little bit more logic to it and wasn't just there to uh, to bring the, the dumb antics uh, every five minutes. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? A classic television show that definitely is an animated television show that I still love. Matthew, what do you have for yeah. your for your number five? Mono Tiki Tia is a second uh, season episode. Uh, my number five is kind of unique because, first of all, I didn't see it in its initial run. Then uh, again, neither did anybody else because its initial run was twice in the year 2000. And then ABC just went, we don't care. Which is kind of a thing that happens when, you know, you're written by Kevin Smith and based on a movie, but not actually based on the movie. So when I say that I love Clerks the Animated Series, what I mean is I love the tiny little encapsulate in comics. We call them limited series where you know you're going to get canned or you know that it's going to be a limited number of episodes. And so you put together something that works as just a short series. The reason that I love this is because um, I actually got a DVD of it for my birthday at one point from somebody, and I sat down and watched it, and the first episode is really goofy and bizarre, and it's Dante and Randall, the characters from Clerks, but instead of you know a weird black-and-white existential film, it is flat-out a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. And then we get to season two, or two, episode two, rather. Episode two is the clip show. And so it's a clip show where they do the thing where, hey, remember when this happened, but there's only one episode. So they repeatedly have to flash back to episode one. And at one point, about halfway through the episode, they actually flash back to earlier in episode two, wherein they are flashing back to episode one. And at that point, the meta got so thick that I, I fell completely in love with this series. And it got goofier and weirder and more outre and just flat out dumb in all the best ways until we finally get to episode six. Episode six is the last episode ever. It is entitled the last episode ever. And it involves Dante and Randall getting some notes from the network about how the show is not working. So they have to make some changes to the show. And it apparently uses actual notes that the animators and Kevin Smith got to make the show more similar to the movie clerks. And the more they try to make a contained black and white story that's just two guys sitting and talking about Star Wars, the more ridiculous the cartoon antics are and the, the harder they try to burst out of everything. So if you ever get a chance to watch it, it'll take you about two hours and 40 minutes. And I totally recommend it. It may be the best movie Kevin Smith has ever made, but it's weird and it's goofy and it's fun. And it's my number five, Clerks, the animated series. There we go. We've got off to a good start. Some really good things in that uh, entry uh, position on our top five animated television shows that we love. Rodrigo, it's time to move into number four. And now things start to get a little bit more interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, my number four is Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm, almost made my list. Um, yeah. Uh, so Avatar is a, a great animated series uh, it's very story heavy but it uh takes a lot of time to develop its characters i think it ran three seasons mm -hmm. um and over those yeah it, it definitely ran three seasons because um the the first season is titled air and there are four elements and they never got to water um <laughs> but that's okay because the first season of legend of Korra was water 
um, which also makes sense. They, they, it's a, you know, it's a fix. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Avatar is, is is something that you don't see very often in Western animation. Um, in that it's kind of this like very martial arts inspired, very uh, Asian inspired, with like some actual research to go with it. Um, how. Uh, in, in the end, I, I think the jury's still out about how ultimately respectful it is that uh, this is like a fantasy thing inspired by Asian stuff, where the team wasn't necessarily composed by Asian people. But it's so good that I think that's partially while the jury's still out. It's like why nobody goes back and talks about how Walk Like an a- a- Egyptian is super racist, because it's a bop, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the same thing here. It's like, is Avatar the Last Airbender problematic? Maybe, but uh, it spends so much time developing its world and its characters that uh, it doesn't even, it's, you know, it probably gets bass. There you <clears> go. <throat> yeah, almost made my list. That and uh, Korra would have been a tie mm-hmm. for me on the list, but they just, just 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 fell out of the outside, mainly because of that Legend of Korra finale that just disappointed me so much. Sure. My number four goes back to 1987. I was sitting at home in my bedroom doing homework on a Sunday afternoon when all of a sudden this movie came on that was supposed to be, hey, here's this movie. And then starting on, I think, Monday or Tuesday, the animated television show begins. And it's at the time when Disney is starting to wake back up, starting to try to figure out what they're going to do. And I was introduced to the world of DuckTales from Scrooge McDuck and uh, Huey, Dewey and Louie. No, no Donald Duck in those early, early episodes, but certainly yeah. Launchpad McQuack was a, was a huge favorite. And then, uh, as the years went on, it uh, started to slip a little bit by the time you get into, and I know people are going to hate me for this. By the time you get into Gizmo Duck, it kind of run its course. <gasps> I know. Blasphemer. No, the, the first, actually the very first two seasons of DuckTales are just brilliant in their execution, especially when they're drawing so much from uh, classic yeah. uh, uh, Disney comic book stuff. Uh, now, not taking direct adaptations, although I'm sure there are a few in there, but uh, just drawing their inspiration and a lot of of their style and storytelling techniques and this idea of wonder and adventure in there certainly made it uh, a, a fun, fun times. And, man, I love DuckTales so much. And then, of course, Disney, after that first season, figured out that, oh, my gosh, I think we have a hit on our hands. Why don't we uh, do a whole afternoon of shows? And so then we got uh, the other stuff like Rescue Rangers, and then there was, uh, what's the one with Baloo the Bear and Kit Cloud Kicker? Tailspin. Tailspin, yeah. Yeah, so uh, DuckTales, definitely on my list of animated shows that I love, because that original series just hit so hard for me at the time when my Disney love was at a high, that they slip in and give me DuckTales ahead of The Little Mermaid's release. And oh man, I was I was living high on that Disney the Disney fumes back in the uh, in the late eighties. So there's my number four, Ducktales. Matthew, what do you have for your number four? My number four was almost Archer because I am a huge fan of Adam Reed. But then it occurred to me that it's not my favorite Adam Reed. And then I'm like, okay, clearly Frisky Dingo. And I said, wait, 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 no, 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 no. That is not your favorite Adam Reed either. My favorite, my number four, C Lab 2021, mm-hmm. which is, uh, well, the initial C Lab 2020 cartoon was on for about 
three months in the early 1970s. It is completely forgotten. If it weren't for C-Lab 2021, I don't think anybody would ever remember C-Lab 2020. Uh, I think if you go to the Wikipedia page, it actually starts with a redirect, did you mean C-Lab 2021? But C-Lab 2021 takes that weird Adam Reed uh, sensibility where everything is ridiculous and everyone is insane, but they're insane in different ways. And it starts out a little wobbly. And then for about two seasons, you get just pure genius. You get these moments of complete lunacy that are somehow coherent. And it's not just the fact that at one point, Vincent from the black hole shows up as a little tiny robot uh, throwing cans of soda in someone's face and breaking their teeth. And it's not just the fact that they're using the original Hanna-Barbera character designs and the limited animation of the C-Lab 2020. And it's not just the fact that the voice acting team are just top-notch, just a, a beyond reproach. If you say to me, who is the greatest voice actor in the world? About the third or fourth time, you're always going to hear me say Harry Gauz, who is the voice of Captain Murphy. Because Murphy seems like your standard, you know, two-fisted stand-up guy, you know, an, an elder statesman, a Captain Picard type. But he's also just completely woo-hoo-hoo. At one point, he decides that he wants to be a cyborg uh, with giant uh, razor claws and and boobs like Adrian Barbeau for some reason. And it's just, it makes sense in context. And I think that's the, the, the hardest thing you can say about absurdist fiction is that it all makes perfect sense in context. Now, the caveat to that is you cannot expect the continuity to carry over from episode to episode. There are times when you cannot expect the continuity to carry over within the same episode. And C-Lab almost always gets destroyed at the end of the episode, sometimes multiple times within the episode. So if you are accepting of the fact that each chapter of this fiction is going to be a standalone adventure, you kind of have to treat it as maybe a repertory company doing something with characters who remain mostly the same. And you realize that season four kind of drops off quickly. I think that you cannot go wrong if you were to sit down and watch, what is it? I think there's 52 episodes of C-Lab 2021. It's the, the sweet spot for Adult Swim. It's before the absurdity took over everything, but after a lot of the, you know, the collie wobbles were worked out. A lot of the early installment weirdness is gone. I mean, it's it's better as a whole than, you know, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It's better as a whole than most of the stuff that you see on your early Cartoon Network Adult Swim block. Just run away from some of that stuff, but run to C-Lab 2021. Okay, there we go. We are entry number three, I believe, at this point, Rodrigo. Number three. What what yeah, my, uh, what kind of thing would you happen to have in your number three? We're in like the top the top three now. These have to yeah. be really really good animated shows. Really very very good, very good shows. Really very good. Uh, really quite very good shows. Yes. Uh, so my Most, number three, mostly really very quite good. Yeah, thoroughly very quite good. Uh, it, my number three is Justice League Unlimited. Oh, um, uh, and and specifically Unlimited. Uh, Justice League was was very good, but I think that Unlimited, Justice League Unlimited, really accomplished something that had never been accomplished before. 
and wouldn't be accomplished again probably until Avengers Endgame, which is to have a narrative and have put enough work behind it that a bunch of random superheroes made sense, uh, they existed in a cohesive world that could support them, and you could actually take some time to delve into their backstories and motivations and stuff. Um, after Justice League, which was a, a, an episodic, like usually be, like two-part episodes, mm-hmm. kind of like, oh no, a monster shows up and we beat the monster by the end of it. Um, Justice League Unlimited was kind of a lot more single episode, um, weirdly slice of life, like what's life like for this superhero or how does like how does Superman interact with a question, right? That's a that's that's a show right there. That's a great idea. It's like how does um what happens when like the military like recalls Captain Adam, right? right? Just just all of these like uh all these questions about these heroes that a lot of us I feel didn't even know about until we saw them on the show. Mm-hmm. Um and have even the even the popular heroes for a lot of people myself included have become the um the the standard the like oh yeah the the batman the batman that you think about when you think about batman or uh certainly the voice that i hear when i think of the question um and you know i'll uh, mostly because the question hasn't gotten a lot of dubs but um yeah, just a lot of a lot of examples where I'm like, oh man, yeah, it's like I have never liked a wildcat in anything except for this. Yeah, you know, it's like there's just like a lot of that going around with a lot of different guys. So yeah. I, I think Justice League Unlimited is a, it's just a really really excellent show. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't ever seen it, oh man, you probably should. Yeah, well, yeah. It, you know what's great about the Justice League and the Justice League Unlimited series is most people no Green Lantern only from that animated show. So when mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds shows up as Green Lantern in the uh, the live action movie, a lot of people are like, why are they casting a white guy for Green Lantern? Because yeah. it was just like so ingrained that Jon Stewart is Green Lantern. Uh, yeah, I think absolutely. that was and one of the best things that came out of that show. Well, that and yeah. Huntress and the question going on a date. Yep. I mean, that, so so many great things. And, and the, that's, like it's it's also a master class in like writing these characters because part of the reason why Jon Stewart was such a strong character is because he's good in that team. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's like a very serious military guy is like in a way that um you know Kyle Rayner wouldn't have fit in quite as well and you know any other like Guy Gardner wouldn't have fit in quite as well. It's like they picked out the best things and then they evolved the characters into these places, these this like niche for each of them that worked out really well. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things about uh, Justice Justice League, not Justice League Unlimited, but when the Justice League series started, we didn't have it on our cable channel here in Hayes. And so I would find many different methods to watch that show, including my wife and I going out of town. So when we were dating, we would go out of town on the weekends and we would get into like Lawrence, Kansas and check into the hotel just in time to catch the uh, the 9 p.m. showing of Justice League Unlimited, and we would watch that together, and then go find some something to eat. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a really good show. Uh, my number three is a space show, and it features a lost girl, uh, actually two lost girls, uh, a cybernetically enhanced dog, 
or cybernetically engineered or bi- biologically engineered dog and two bounty hunters on their quest for the big score. And through, what is it, like 18, 20 episodes? It's probably even less than that. But we get into the lives of Spike and the crew of Cowboy Bebop and really what looks to be like a silly kind of kind of predictable story trope method each week where, hey, there's, uh, you know, somebody that's out on the loose. Let's go get him. Oh, we weren't able to get him or we were able to get him. But then we gambled away all our money or lost all our money. What first sets up like a, a very typical story each week suddenly evolves into, oh, my gosh, here's this girl that's been in suspended animation for like 100 years and has come back and nobody knows who she is. And then there's a girl whose dad has abandoned her. And then there's a dog that's been engineered. And then, you know, you get the story of Jet and and Spike uh, and the the tragedies that befall them. And then you get to meet the antagonist to the series. And by the time you reach the end of the show, you are just a mess because of how hard you get hit with the, the feels and the punches and the emotions throughout that series. I watched it again last year. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is really fun. I, I remember how fun this show is. And then you get to the part where, you know, Spike is, is dealing with his, you know, uh, blood brother in the mob and everything that comes with that. And you're just like, oh, my God, gut punch after gut punch. I found Cowboy Bebop, oh, in the early 2000s, like 2000, 2001. And I was going through this through um, uh, the local, you know, book nook or whatever they had back then. And I saw, okay, I'm, I've kind of run through all the other anime and uh, films and TV shows that they have here. Let me grab this Cowboy Bebop. This looks interesting just from the cover. Watched the first DVD and then went back to the store and proceeded to buy up the entire DVD collection that they had. And may have called in sick to work on Monday so I could finish the, the series out. It's that good. Cowboy Bebop then started to appear on, I think it was Cartoon Network or Adult Swim. Um... I think it was probably Adult Swim late night stuff. I think it was probably Toonami, Saturday Night Toonami. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that was what it was. Uh, but a lot of people found out about Cowboy Bebop then. Uh, but man, if you haven't found out about Cow- Cowboy Bebop, you probably ought to get into the animated series now before the live action Netflix series hits. Because uh, I have a feeling the Netflix series isn't, isn't going to be able to hold a candle to the animated show. Cowboy Bebop, my number three. Matthew, what do you have for your number three? My number three is actually something that I enjoy for two reasons. One, really good show. But two, it kind of helps to, I don't know, to to soften the blow of what an idiot I was when I was 21 years old. Uh, 21-year-old Matthew made a lot of really, really stupid decisions. Watched a real just heaping helping of stupid, stupid S-bomb. There's a lot of things that I liked when I was 21 that I look at now and go, good Lord, what was I thinking? 1991, Matthew, you ignorant slut. But on Sunday nights on MTV in 1991, you could sit down and you could watch Liquid Television. And each episode of that first season of Liquid Television ended with Eon Flux, my number three. And... There's something really wonderful about a series that is avant-garde to the point where it doesn't matter what order you see the episodes in. The first season of Eon Flux is six broken down 
episodes. And then in the final episode of Liquid Television, it airs the whole thing, and you get to see the whole story all the way through. Uh, that first season has no language at all, with the exception of a sequence where we see a newscaster, and he's... There's no English, there's no Spanish, there's no Japanese. There's nothing. It's all visual storytelling. And it's you just follow this spy who's trying to sneak into a government installation, killing tons of people, literal rivers of blood, making her way there, getting to her final destination... Stepping on a nail, falling to her death. And you get to the point where you're like, that, uh, and I was so mad. And then they commissioned a second season. And the second season is like 12 episodes. Every episode features the main character dying. Every single episode ends with her dying. And I'm like, okay, clearly, you know, we're dealing with again. It's not, it's not a linear continuity. But then it becomes clear that it is. And then the question is, how is she dying? Why is she dying? And more importantly, how does she come back and die again? And by the time you get to the end, sadly, as with anything, explication does kind of lessen the enjoyment. But even then, it's still a really good story. It's visually nuts. It is incredible to look at. Uh, Peter Chung, uh, the primary animator and creator, has this weird beautiful animation style and it's it's I, I can't describe it it's like it's as though everything were a tower and you're standing at the base of a tower and the people and the characters and the scenery is all a tower that you're looking up at and oh my god it makes for some really really good cartoons and that's why eon flux is my number three excellent we have now hit the rarefied air of the top rarefied. two this is some of the best of the best stuff right here and Rodrigo has a number two that he's sharing with us right now. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> my number two uh, has already been mentioned. Um, it is a cartoon that premiered several years ago. Um, and when the pilot came out, along with another volley of uh, Cartoon Network pilots, I was like, oh, man, I'm into this. And then I heard that they were actually making the show. They were changing the aesthetic a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll check it out. Um, show comes out, and I'm like, oh, man, I love this show. This show's great. I'm going to be so sad when it gets canceled at the end of the season. <laughs> um, and uh, sure enough, I was super wrong about that. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about Steven Universe, a show that uh, somehow uh, in a in in this strange universe of media managed to complete its run basically tell its whole entire story over the course of i don't know i want to say five seasons um maybe nine seasons it's hard to tell because of the the release schedule which is another sort of uh star to uh, on its report card in that despite having dealing with Cartoon Network's release schedule, uh, the show managed to make it all the way through. Um, Steven Universe is uh, a musical. It has fantastic music, has great characters. Uh, it's a great sort of sci-fi fantasy story. Um, and it centers the ideas of being kind to other people, um, being aware of other people's feelings, dealing with loss, dealing with things that other people have done that you had no control over. So what do you do about it now? Um, 
and uh, did so without seeming preachy, just simply by watching the actions of the characters. You got to see how um, really a good good examples of how to deal with it, and every once in a while, good examples of how not to deal with it and what to do once you screwed it up. Um, yeah, Steven Universe is definitely one of the best shows uh, in recent history, and up until I binged Infinity Train, the only animated show that I had really gotten into uh, in the past, you know, maybe 10 years. Yep. Steven Universe is also my number two. Cool. Share. Please share. Yeah. The thing that got me, I actually got in at the perfect time because the first episode of Steven Universe that I actually saw was two episodes before the end of season one. Season one ends with a huge revelation that has always been there. It had ne they never made any attempt to hide this secret. It was clearly the case. And then you get to the episode, and it's like, oh my God, I, what I thought is true, but what I thought is also so much more complicated than it ever was. And if you watch the first episode of Steven Universe, it feels like your standard kitty show. It's a young protagonist, and he has three older characters, and they kind of you know serve as a series of parental figures. There's the slobby one, there's the prissy one, and then there's the smart one, who seems to be all mysterious and in between. And it's the, you know, this perfect Kirk, Spock, McCoy trio, whatever you want to realize. But without ever changing those characters, we find that they are so much more than that. It's ridiculous how much you can glean if you go back and watch the very first episode with the knowledge of the previous, you know, the following 160 whatever episodes and go, oh, my God, it's right out there in the open the whole time. The show is just amazing i think probably the best part of it for me is the voice work mm -hmm. because the voice the voice team on this show is brilliant they are amazing but it also has especially in the first couple of seasons it has the weird tendency to shift models a little bit depending on who's directing oh. a little bit okay to shift model a lot <laughs> depending on who's directing and it's wonderful that you can see the actual artistic style of a director. If you watch an Ian Jones Quarty episode of Steven Universe, you know that's an Ian Jones Quarty episode of Steven Universe. And if you don't believe me, watch it back to back with an episode of OKKO, OK which I don't yeah. I don't watch that. But the thing that I really love about Steven Universe is how effortless it all feels. It's not, oh, everything you knew is wrong. It's everything that you thought you knew based on your assumptions about animation and your assumptions about the way stories are told and your assumptions about the public faces of these characters is only part of what they are. The fact that Pearl in the very first episode seems to be the only one who has her stuff together. Pearl seems to be, you know, smart. She has her things together. She's very organized. She's very disciplined. And by the end of the show, you realized Pearl is completely emotionally destroyed. She's a survivor of war. She has been through horrible things. There is nothing right about Pearl. She hates herself. And oh my God, it's such a wonderful journey to get to the point where she figures out who she actually is. And that happens with almost every single character in the show. The only one they don't explain is Onion. And I think that's part of Onion's deal. Yeah. So if you, if you haven't watched Steven Universe... I, I entreat you to give it a chance. In the worst case scenario, it's not for you. 
but I feel like it's for, here's the thing. There are four people in my house. The four people in my house do not agree on a lot of things. We very seldom have a show that everybody will be mad at you if you watch without them. And Steven Universe is the top of that list. Very, very cool. Uh, my number two kind of bounces off of Rodrigo's number three, and that is the one-two punch, the tie between Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series. I'm sure when Batman the Animated Series was pitched, it was just like, hey, let's tell Batman. Batman's really popular. You know that Batman movie that's out? How about we do an, an animated show on that? And and somebody at Warner Brothers said, sure, let's go ahead. I mean, uh, what 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 could go wrong? Well, absolutely nothing could go wrong because Batman the Animated Series, when it debuted, was wonderful. I'm pretty sure that I bought or had just purchased a TV VCR combo so that I could record this show so I wouldn't miss it because it was on in the afternoons. Uh, originally, I think it was on in the evenings on Sunday when it originally debuted, but it quickly moved to the afternoon slot. And I wanted to make sure that it was recorded so I could watch it when I got home uh, from school and uh, watch Batman the Animated Series for years. Then by the time I moved to Atlanta, they had introduced the Superman Animated Series, and that one was on early in the morning. So I actually left an hour early to go to work in the morning. So when I got to work an hour early, I could watch Batman and the Superman, uh, what was it called? The Super Show or Batman whatever it was. Batman Superman Adventures. Yeah, the S Batman Superman Adventures. And you really see everything that culminates in Justice League Unlimited and that fantastic ending that happens in Justice League Unlimited goes all the way back to Batman the Animated Series. And so Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series, that one-two combo is, is my number two, but man, throw in Justice League Unlimited and you've got a series of shows that you can't miss. Although if somebody does have Batman, uh, the new adventures or whatever that is, um, that one is a pretty good one too. Batman and Robin? No, no, no. The one with Terry. Um, oh, oh, Batman Beyond. Batman Beyond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's good too. Uh, so there you go. Batman the Animated Series, definitely my number two. Is such it's so good. Even looking back, what is it now? Thirty, not thirty years. Twenty years later. Well, it's almost thirty years uh, since that show debuted. Still stands up. I, I know they try to make it look better with Blu-ray and and try to upres it, but man, that show still stands up from the storylines, which are not necessarily kitty fair all the time. I mean, there's some heavy there's some heavy stuff that gets dropped in that show a lot, um, but. Uh, it, it holds up so well, and the music is, do, is done so well. The voices are so good, and the animation for the time, what they were doing, was different from anything you had seen. Because uh, at this time, what are we, we're also watching X-Men, the animated series. And so those two couldn't have been polar opposites from one another, as far as quality of the animation goes. Batman, the animated series, definitely my number two. And Superman, also number two. But here we go with our number one animated television shows that we love. Rodrigo, please share. Uh, well, my number one is a show that is on this list because it was formative uh, for me. Um, and I always thought, like, well, maybe this show was just doing certain things that I had never really seen before, I'd never really paid attention to. And to a certain degree, that's true. But having gone back recently and watched it again, uh, it all really holds up very well. Uh, and that's Gargoyles, mm -hmm. Disney's mm -hmm. Gargoyles, another um, Disney afternoon uh, joint. Um, mm -hmm. Gargoyles 
has um, you know kind of in the in the same way uh, what I liked about uh, Avatar and what I like about Justice League and what I like about Steven Universe is that it was a show where episodes stood on their own but had this like ongoing unfolding continuity and especially going back now and watching it you can tell the moments where it's like ah this is building to something and you can tell the moments where it's like ah this was nothing and then later on they thought hey remember back when we did this let's make that something you know and it's like it's totally fair you can do it either way and it still feels good it still feels nice when you get to that point you're like oh this is like in that episode where this happened even if at the time it wasn't intentional eventually through hopefully decent writing you make it intentional um yeah gargoyles just continues to like grow and branch out i think season one is like 10 episodes and season two is like 40 episodes and that's gargoyles right there that's the entirety of the run they did another series uh afterwards where the showrunner left um and disney brought in new people the animation's different um it looks very different and so, you know, if you want to count the Goliath, Goliath Chronicles, if you liked it, that's fine. But I think you're going to find the most um, satisfaction in those first two seasons of Gargoyles, uh, which, you know, will take you back and forth through time. Um, you'll they'll show you monsters and robots and gods and, um, you know, like very rich guys and like basically everyone who was ever in Star Trek is in it. Um, and like Keith David is in it. If you if you ever yeah. thought, you know, what would it be like to have Riker and Spawn face off? Well, there you go. <laughs> very, very cool. So my number one is Gargoyles. Yeah, there you go. All right. My number one, also a Disney show, um, but a Disney show that was very, very different. I think the first four or five episodes aired before we even discovered it as a family and we were bored one Friday night. And all of a sudden they were having a marathon of this show and it's like, okay, well, let's watch it. And it's this kind of kooky little, you know, out of, you know, people out of their element kind of story. Two kids going to stay with their uncle for the summer and some weird things happen. And the weird conspiracy stuff that they had embedded in the show was actually kind of fetching and, and, and catchy. And we blew through like four or five episodes in a single sitting that night. And we're like, what is this show? We've got to watch it. And then, of course, it's on the Disney Channel where new episodes come out like once every six months and they rerun all the other episodes nonstop. But eventually we made it through the entirety of Gravity Falls. And while the story is about the weirdness that goes on in this this town, in this weird little town in uh, the Pacific Northwest, it really turns into a story about family and what it means to take care of your family and to um, try to fix the mistakes that you've made. And try to heal as a family, especially for the brothers uh, that are involved in this. And in the process, it's an amazing tale. It's amazing animation. And the best part was all the secret stuff that the uh, Alex Hirsch intentionally was embedding in the show. That if you unlocked all the little clues that he was embedding since episode one, you knew what the answer was before you even got to the end. It was so well done. I love this show. It is it tops Batman the Animated Series, mainly because it's more recent, but because the end game was thought of, you know, three years or four years in advance uh, from when the very first episode aired. And I just found that so thrilling and so interesting. A perfectly built show from top to bottom. A lot of thought going into this. 
Uh, just such a great show. It's Gravity Falls there from the Disney Channel. Matthew, this brings us around to you now and your number one to close out the show. Yep. And faithful spoilerites, dear listeners, fivers, I want to give you a, before I tell you my number one, I want to give you a little tiny bit of inside baseball. Um, Steven chooses who goes in what order. And I think he has a, a method to his madness. Nah. And sometimes I love it when I go first. And sometimes I love it when I go last. And today I hate it when I go last because my friends, my number one is something about which I am incredibly embarrassed at the same time as I love it. So I apologize for ending the show on this particular note because my number one is Family Guy. And you may be saying, oh, Matthew, that is edgelordy nonsense. How dare you enjoy that show? And, you know, you can say that. You can talk to me. I mean, I get yelled at for a living. It's fine. But the thing about Family Guy that I find absolutely compelling is, first of all, the show will not die. It has been canceled three separate times by two separate networks, and the damn thing keeps coming back. And I don't know if that's admirable or terrifying or both. We'll call it ter-admirable. But more importantly, they're like 350 episodes in, and all of these characters are thoroughly explored. I mean, there are moments with every one of these characters where you're just like, I, there's literally nothing new they can do with Brian. There is literally nothing new they can do with a, a stupid Peter is stupid plot. And somehow they still manage to surprise me. The thing about the show that really appeals to me is it has a deep love of pop culture and not just, you know, uh, what's up, beer commercial parodies or the obvious stuff, but it goes really deep. There's one episode that literally as a non sequitur opens with a parody of the entire opening sequence of the incredible Hulk from 1978. A lot of people get that. Then you get to the episode where you're like, the whole thing is actually the plot of us, an episode of suspense, the radio show from 1940. You're like, Oh my God, did they just do that? And then you have an episode where the whole plot is Frank Sinatra jr. Comes to town. And so characters get to sing with Frank Sinatra jr. It is a show that completely refuses to have a genre. It refuses to have a canon. And even though it starts out as kind of a weird take on, you know, a Simpsons or an All in the Family or a wacky, you know, sitcom, it refuses to take even things that are fundamentally part of its own storyline seriously. And I have to respect that. And for every time you get a joke that just makes you groan out loud, you get a moment where I giggle. I just, I, I had a delightful moment where uh, there's an episode where uh, the baby child, Stewie, loses his uh, bear. His bear actually dies. So he cremates it and takes it to the top of a mountain to throw his ashes to the wind. And for some reason, for two minutes, he and Brian are singing a pretty decent cover of Boys to Men. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. If that's not Boys to Men, I'm sorry. I wasn't awake for most of the 90s. But it's one of those moments that feels like it shouldn't work. It feels like it should be offensive. It should be stupid. And somehow it comes across as touching and then funny and then touching again. And I'm just like, how is this the same stupid show that makes the ridiculous sexist jokes, the racist jokes, that one of the main characters is a complete sex addict and it's played for laughs until it's not. 
and it shouldn't work to have it be a joke and then not be a joke and then be a joke again. And for some reason it does. And I feel like 20 years into the show, I shouldn't be ashamed to like it, but I kind of am, but I'm kind of not. And I think that that fits the experience of family guy, because whatever you think it is, you don't have the whole picture. And even if you love it, you still kind of hate it. And if you hate it, I'll guarantee you there are still going to be some things that you love. And that's my number one, and that's going to take the show out on a note that I'm not proud of, but I'm going to stand by it because, you know, what else can you do? It's Family Guy. All right, everybody. That wraps it up for this installment of Top 5. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. I'm sure you have some questions. No Simpsons on the list. Oh, I'm sure you have some, some questions. Oh, where's that Star Trek animated series, huh? I'm sure you where's, have some where's questions. Where's Johnny Quest? Here's where's the thing. Mission Hill, Rodrigo? Yeah, where's the, where's the high school one? Where the, the yeah, there's a lot Galaxy of uh, oh, high? Clone High. Clone High. Where's Clone High? Yeah, you ask. Here's the thing. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff that didn't make it in. Yep. Here's the thing. You need to go over to the Major Spoilers Discord server. There's a link in the show notes. Go into the top five channel, and then you can talk all about our list. Heck, you can even talk about your list and share your top five because everybody loves a list. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.